Hey, hey, we're your hosts. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Jonathan. And we believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give to yourself is the gift of wholeness through integrating all aspects of what it means to be human. And in this podcast, we're bringing you insight, information, and inspiration to move from a stressful to stress-free life. Your journey to becoming even healthier and happier starts right now. Welcome to Wellness Theory, the podcast. So welcome everyone to today's show, and we are so excited to introduce you to our special guest, Mike Bethune, who is a grateful grace recipient and returns the favor daily by helping to change the lives of others. Now, Mike is a military veteran who overcame homelessness, depression, addiction, and suicidal ideation. Now, during the process, he discovered his life's purpose and meaning. He holds three degrees, all of which are connected to coaching and counseling. Now, for, the, for over 25 years, Mike's been helping others to transform the pain of their own life experiences into power, purpose, and meaning. He accomplishes this through the life transformation coaching, counseling, workshops, self-help books, and digital courses. A huge amount of value there. So welcome to the show today, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me, uh, Charlotte and Jonathan. Really appreciate it. Listen, Mike, I'm so, so excited to really have this conversation with you today and just echoing what John has already said there and I'm curious to, to for us to get started for you to just share a little bit about yourself a bit about your journey tell us a bit about you and any pivotal moments you've had because clearly there's a there's a wealth of, of wisdom that you have to share with us today so give us a bit of an overview for any of our listeners that don't know who you are sure so um I'm born in uh in New Jersey in the states um in a place called Patterson I was born in the inner city um born to two solid parents who didn't have a whole lot in terms of uh, uh, financial material resources, but definitely raised us with solid values and work ethics, et cetera. You know, and those things still still carry me to this day, the different principles that they taught, taught us early on. Um, I was a pretty good athlete. I was, I was a good student, but I was a, a really good athlete in high school. And I thought I was going to get certain scholarships in the area of track and field. And I also, uh, I also played some football in the city league and um, I ended up not getting the scholarships that I thought I was going to get. So I opted to go into the United States army at 18 years old. Uh, and when I went in, I, I went into a unit that's what they call a rapid deployment unit. So it's a unit that could be deployed uh, anywhere in the world within 72 hours. So we'd be packed up and shipped out and um, at that destination, whatever it might've been. And it, it was an engineer unit. So we, we dealt with, um, a lot of explosives and blowing bridges and things of that nature. And we worked uh, in concert with Marines. And so it was a pretty, pretty hardcore unit. And uh, my second year in, we were sent to the border of Nicaragua. There was a, a coup that was happening at that time where uh, a group of uh, Nicaraguan rebels called the Sandinista had overtaken Nicaraguan government and they were coming for Honduras, which is American interest. So the American president at that time uh, wasn't going for it. So he sent us in to, to handle that situation. So I was in that hostile life-threatening deployment um, at 19 and a half years old. And uh, I was just, you know, it was life altering because there's no reference point in life for that. You could train, 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 but when you get there in the day-to-day -day reality of just the psychological impact of what might happen from second to second, uh, just takes you to a different place. And so a lot of people, I was watching some of my older sergeants and comrades in arms and how they handled the pressure of the day-to-day re -day reality. And I would see some of them, and this is not a slight to the United States Army or anybody who's ever served, but because this is not the case for everybody, but for a lot of us that were in those kind of hardcore units, you have to anesthetize yourself uh, in order to even function in that environment because it's so surreal. Again, there's no reference point for it. So a lot of people um, gravitate to substances uh, and alcohol in that environment to just kind of numb yourself. And another part of numbing yourself is, is also that you, when, when you're sent on missions, you just can't do certain things with your normal God-given heart. I'll say that, you know, you almost have to become monster-like so that you can't feel, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. But so you, in that process, um, I began to do what they were doing because every single day, you know, I didn't know if it was going to be my last day, 
or not. And if uh, whatever was whistling through the air, if it if a bullet had my name on it today. So our motto in my unit was um, today we're going to get our head up, meaning uh, get high in case today is our day to get wet up, meaning get shot up and just we won't feel whatever happens. And so we we went through the whole process with that mindset and just became kind of monster like. So when I came out of the deployment and came back to the States, um, I had psychological trauma. I was dealing with PTSD and and I had this addiction thing. And I didn't even know what addiction was. You know, I just knew that uh, what I did to survive in that environment uh, that was no longer needed now that I was coming back to, quote unquote, mainstream society, uh, that thing wasn't finished with me. And it kept kind of haunting me. And, you know, so I suffered silently again in the unit that I was in. Uh, it's a unit that you don't show weaknesses in. So even though I was dealing with psychological trauma, I was dealing with this addiction thing. I couldn't put a label on who I was at that time. I was just a different person. And so I suffered silently. I stayed in the military. Um, I loved that disciplined environment. So I thrived in it. I continued to rise up the ranks. But um, in my off time, I had this other secret life where I would go off base and, you know, and feed this addiction thing. And it was, it was really crazy. So I, I kind of lived in that vortex and that ebb and flow for the next couple of years uh, while I was in the military. And then when uh, eventually I decided to um, get out and I got out honorably after serving, you know, for almost seven years, but it, all of that time from, from, from the time of the deployment all the way until I got out, I still kind of managed uh, as much as I could realistically the secret side of me with this addiction and the, the psychological trauma. And, you know, and, and I was the only one, a lot of us in our unit was dealing with, it. I know they had to be dealing with it. It's just that we all were conditioned to suffer in silence and just, you know, rah, hardcore, just keep going, keep going. Never see, never let them see you cry. And, you know, we're not that kind of unit. Um, so fast forward to when I exited the military and went back home to New Jersey uh, that's when things began unraveling altogether because I didn't have the, the restraints or maybe I'll call it boundaries, the healthy boundary of the military discipline that kind of kept me from going all the way over the deep end because I knew I had certain obligations. Well, now those obligations were gone and I was kind of a free man and just didn't, didn't even know what to do with my, my freedom back in, in civilization, <laughs> you know? Um, and so all of those things that I had managed for a while now began to really overtake me. Uh, I remember my mom saying, you know, I can't put my finger on it, Mike, but you're not the same kid that left here when you were 18 years old. She said that to me uh, and they didn't know what was going on with me, but they knew they mean my parents, they knew something was going on and I knew something was going on, but I, I couldn't figure it out. I was unpredictable. Also, I was really impulsive and with all those different things going on. So I, I tried to stay away from my family as much as realistically possible because I didn't want to bring the craziness that I was dealing with into their life as well. So eventually I became homeless. I became homeless in the, in the streets of my hometown. Um, I would use my military training to kind of go off the grid. I'd, I'd be wherever I'd go to a park or uh maybe like uh, on the periphery of uh, the water reservoir where there's a wooded line and I'd, I'd create a little pup tent or whatever, all the trainings that I had so I could survive off the land. And I just became kind of nomadic and every now and then would, would interact with the, the homeless community, which is mostly made up of people that have um, mental things going on, you know, psychological things going on. And, and also you got addiction, you got, you got that whole, all of that stuff happening together in that community. And uh, it, it's weird because even, even in the midst of all of the, the dysfunction, there's a love in that community <laughs> that I, I hadn't experienced in quote unquote mainstream society, which is really weird. That's a topic for another time I would imagine. But so there I was. And um, uh, eventually I, I got to the point, I remember just, uh, being with these couple of guys and we were just doing getting high for almost two days straight. And eventually I was kind of almost delirious. I had no sleep and 
you know, putting these substances in me and alcohol. And I was just kind of almost out of my mind. And I said, you know, just one of two things are going to happen in this situation here. Either I'm going to die in this situation or when I come out, if I come out um, and my life changes, I'm going to be able to use all of this pain and all the all the experiences here to make a difference in the lives of others. I always thought that I always thought that, uh, but it was hard to reach out because again, of my conditioning, uh, it was hard to ask for help. That was, that's where I was stuck at. Uh, but eventually things got bad enough to where, uh, I saw it was a Sunday morning. I saw this guy that used to be in the circle of us getting high. He was from my, from my hometown. And this guy was as clean as a whistle on a Sunday morning, I guess he was going to church or wherever. And he saw me and here I am emerging, you know, at the break of dawn, I'm emerging from this, this all night stupor I had been in. And he saw me and he said, Hey, Hey Mike, what's going on, man? And I, I said, well, look at me. I mean, you can kind of tell what's going on. right? And uh, he, I said, what's happening with you? Man? You don't look the same. He said, no, my life is different. He told me about how he had reached out for help and how his life began to change with a combination of uh, clinical counseling and faith. And so that was intriguing to me. I didn't take action at that moment, but I did make a mental note of it that I wanted what he had. I wanted what he had and I wanted it bad. So a few months later, I reached back out to him and he told me where to go. I went to this one place in my city and spoke to the person that ran the facility. And he said, he said, it'll probably be good for somebody like you to get out of the city and because I could function anywhere with any any people, you know, I can get along with anybody. He said, you probably need to go out to the suburbs. There's a place out there in Morristown, New Jersey, that really works well with veterans. And they have a good combination of clinical counseling and also uh, faith based. And so I went and that's where my life began to change. I met a man there by the name of uh, he was a pastor, but he was also a uh, Ph.D. in clinical counseling. And his name was Dr. Solomon. Solomon J. Tividay. He was from India. And that's where my life began to change because that man saw something in me that I didn't see in myself at that time. And he made a statement to me. He said he, he, he took me on as his personal project because he said, Mike, you have you have influence. You just have influence. And he used the word charismatic. He said people gravitate to you uh, and they're going to gravitate to you for the good or the bad. You know, you're a leader, so you can either lead people in a good direction or a bad direction. But first, you have to you have to begin to do something about your life. And this statement right here was a linchpin that began to turn my life in a different direction. He said, when the pain of where you are is greater or more powerful than the fear of where you have the potential to go, then you'll move. That's what he said to me. And I thought about, you know, these things, these dual motivators pain and fear, right? They either paralyze or propel our lives. And he explained all of that to me. And, you know, he was just somebody who poured into my life. And that, that moment right there changed my life. And uh, I turned a corner. I turned, I made a mental paradigm shift right there. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my power back. You see my, my name there for my, <laughs> that's my, that's, that's my mantra. That's my, that's the horse that I ride. That's what I, all of my counseling, whatever else I do these days, um, it, it all comes back to that hub right there. That moment, Dr. Solomon helped me to take my power back. Uh, and since then, I've been trying to help other people do the same. And that's been two decades now, more than two decades. So that's a nutshell of who, uh, <laughs> of who I am. Oh, absolutely amazing. Mike, I almost forgot that we were doing <laughs> <Yeah>. a podcast <laughs> interview. I'm just like so drawn in to, to everything that you're sharing. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Very, very powerful. Um, and it's so interesting because one of the most common things that people say to us when they first reach out is that they, the one, they ask the question, am I too far gone? And they also reveal that they, they've got this fear of being thought of as crazy because they're experiencing what they're experiencing their own inner turmoil and I think for anybody listening that might be experienced that question that about themselves and maybe that's a resistance to reaching out for help I really hope that just listening now to Mike is is shedding some light on what's possible to come back from because boy oh boy to come back from a lot of the things you've experienced that are, are really just 
a figment of our imagination in in a lot of people's lives so the things that you've had to experience and endure and the fact that you've been able to come back from that and then turn that into impact like massive impact that is huge and i'm very grateful for what you do um and for what thank the you. messages you're sharing to the world beautiful really beautiful thank you thank you charlotte appreciate it thank you definitely it's just like complete respect for well, any military personnel, especially ones that do go into that conflict situation, because they, you guys see stuff that the majority of us will never see in a lifetime. Um, and especially at such a young age and coming out of that and really kind of taking taking hold and taking control back of your life on that point and then thinking, okay, I want to help people now. It's like, it's because we all know that everyone at some point in their life has been in that, in that spot where they just think everything is just against them and like, what am I doing? And trying to go from there to a place where you're now creating that impact and you're helping others, that's, it's, it's hard for people to see that end goal. It's hard to see how to get there. Um, and what you mentioned about kind of taking back your power, it's, it's, it is a taking back control of who you are in your life. And what I would like you to kind of get into a bit is what does that really mean taking back your power and how does that kind of influence our overall wellness when it comes to like our psychology our physiology and our emotions as well how does that have such an effect on people when it when we when we take back our power sure so uh as i said when when dr solomon made that statement to me and when i began to understand what it meant it took a minute for me to really get the gist of what he was talking about but once i was clear on it i realized that for me, taking back, taking back my power meant that I had to make it, um, a mental paradigm shift. I had to stop thinking the way that I was thinking because it was my thinking that was keeping me stuck. And uh, so the way that I did that was that I, I, I realized that uh, maybe so. So up until that point, it was why is this happening to me? You know, I only signed on the I knew when I signed on the dotted line that uh, for the military, that war was a possibility. You know that going in because my brother, my oldest brother was Marine and he kind of prepped me for all of that. Um, so I knew that, but once it happens and then you come out of your situation and then stuff keeps happening and, and what keeps happening, meaning the, the difficult stuff in life, homelessness and all that, uh, it all goes back to the core of, uh, the, or the fact that it happened while I was in military service. So I became really bitter at the military. I became bitter at just life in general. And I was like, why, why, why is this happening to me? So, but when I made the mental paradigm shift, uh, Jonathan, to your point, uh, in terms of taking my power back, the way that that happened was I stopped thinking, I stopped saying, why is this happening to me? And I started saying, maybe, maybe something has happened for me in this process. Because now I'm realizing a strength that I didn't even know I had that I, you know, yeah, I went through some horrific things, but I made it through it. So, so it making it, you don't make it through that without learning some things. So I've gained some things and I, uh, taking my power back, I started to examine what it is that I had gained, you know, what kind of strength, what kind of mental fortitude, all those things. And, and when I began to identify them and delineate them and then capitalize on them, it was that was a conversion of my pain going from something that had paralyzed me to now something that was empowering me. And, and that's what I help other people to understand that, you know, you plan for life and then life happens. And when it, and it's less about, it's less about what happens to you and more about what you do once it happens, once it happens. And so, you know, as long as we, and I'm very careful with my words right now because I don't want to minimize anybody's pain that might be listening to this podcast. But what I do want to say is that, you know, you have to make a decision about your situation because if nothing changes, nothing changes. You know, you, you have to take some kind of action uh, to begin taking your power back. And the first step is to acknowledge that you are where you are. And also that one of the things that helped me and Dr. Solomon helped me with this um, is to understand that where I was in life wasn't fully indicative of who I was, where I ended up and my situation, whatever situation a person might end up in doesn't really tell the world who they really are. I mean, things happen, things happen beyond our control. 
But when they happen, we do have to make some decisions on our own. I mean, it's not just going to happen by osmosis. You got to put some work into the process. And um, and sometimes, you know, it's a humbling thing to reach out for help and say, hey, you know, I've, I'm, I'm weak in this area. I need somebody to come along and show me how to do this. That's a strength in and of itself. So that's just kind of the layman's terms of, of taking your power back, the initial stages anyway. Perfect. Awesome. And I, I think we can't hear that enough of how, because I think sometimes it's hard to believe that we have such power to do something like that when we're in the suffering, when we're struggling. It takes courage to want to then lean into that power and to even acknowledge that it exists within when when you're at that level of suffering and i think that's so so powerful one of the things you mentioned there is about almost alluded into like a sense of identity right what would you say to somebody that's really identifying with their pain with their experience with their past and how do they start to shift into who it is they really are yes so uh one of my life's mantras now and this is my own. I, I've coined this. I might even uh, I might even patent it. <laughs> but it's it's that my life's mantra is my pain laid the platform that propelled me into my purpose. It literally did. So it's to your question, Charlotte. As, as hard as it is, sometimes we have to look back into what it is that we've overcome. Even if you're still in a difficult situation, you have to. It's kind of like you have to celebrate the small victories and find strength in the small things that you already overcome, even though there's still more overcoming to happen. Um, um, th there's there's power. There's power in the pain. You know, the, the, it's already happened. It's already happened. So, you know, you've kind of already paid for that seat. So don't waste it. It's a, that kind of that kind of mentality. Like, what can I get out of it now? The situation's already occurred. The pain has already impacted my life, and it's either short-circuited, paralyzed, or derailed my life. So now, let me look at that pain and say, "Look, you—you know—you have to pay me back now for the suffering that you've caused. You got—I'm got—I got—I got to find a way to convert you into power so that you can bring some good things into my life now." And that's a reality that literally can happen. It may not happen on the scale that it's happened with me, and I'm—you know—I'm grateful to God because. I, I happen to believe in the divine, you know, and I, I know that some of my steps were ordered, you know, um, I mean, certain people were put in my life at the right time to help move me to certain levels. And I believe that that, you know, that just doesn't happen by by osmosis. But um, yeah, to that person that's in that place, you know, it's it's not the end for you. You're still alive. You're still breathing. You're still functioning, you know, um, and you have to now find a way to to make that pain work for you. Sometimes that might mean reaching out to coaches, Charlotte, Jonathan, you know, for, for those that are um, across the pond, you know, you have, you, know, you might have to reach out to help, get uh, reach out for help, get humble like I did, you know, and reach out for help and say, hey, you know, here I am. I can't do this on my own. That's probably the first step for some people and find somebody that you can confide in. You know, you can't tell everybody everything because some people can't handle the pearls of your pain, you know, and that's, that's, uh, I say that respectfully, but not everybody can handle your story. So you, you know, you have to kind of search around for the person that's going to, um, going to, going to handle it carefully. I, I Again, pearls of your pain, not pearls, you know, handle them, handle them delicately, right? You don't throw pearls to the swine, you know, handle them because pigs don't know how to handle pearls. They just, they'll wallow in the mud and just mess them up. But so you, you got to find the right person that, um, right person, right people that, that can help, help you make sense of your pain and then help you begin to take power back out of it. Beautiful. Yeah. And that's something I definitely want to move on and touch on now, which is about how you help people. Um, but yeah. before we go into that, I want to touch on your, because um, you've got three degrees in and around coaching and counseling. So yeah. I would love to know what your thoughts and opinions are on the differences between counseling and coaching. Um, that's a great question. So with counseling, with counseling, uh, it's it's more more of the well for me. Uh, counseling is is more getting into 
the deeper clinical side of things, you know, um, uh, how can I say that's a really, really good question. And I've thought about this before, but, uh, I didn't wake up early this morning thinking about it. Um, but no, yeah, counseling is really, you know, counseling is implementing more of the academic side of things, right? The training, the, the clinical training that you get in, in, in the academic realm and all. And not that coaches don't have that side too. A lot of coaches do have that. But I think um, uh, counseling is more, more longer term, number one. A more longer term and uh, the commitment is usually longer, I think, with counseling, especially when you're dealing with um, trauma counseling and things of that nature. Um, uh, um, wow. I'm rarely uh, scrambling for words here, but um, but uh, uh, coaching, the way I see coaching is because I've played a lot of sports and all. The way I see coaching is coaches come alongside, coaches come alongside and help people to really begin to implement, um, understand and implement a lot of the answers that they already have, you know, to help them. Uh, uh, people come to the table with their different, different situations. And a lot of them already have the answers. Coaches help them uh, to move, move, move along better. And to, to, um, uh, hmm. coaches help them to, to bring out, the answers that they already have and, and also to inform them in certain ways, but, uh, but more just to be, be there for them and, and to, um, to help walk them through the difficulties that they, that they might be dealing with, with, with a counselor, I think it's more of, more of, um, kind of peeling back and, and, and even going back into, um, the root of where everything began and, and, and unpacking different behaviorisms and, um, genealogy and things of that nature, well, whether something is a trait that's carried over. So it's more of that hardcore clinical part where coaching is more, I'm going to walk alongside of you. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to hold you accountable. Coaching is yeah, definitely about a higher level of accountability too. You know, counselors, some counselors, person comes into the office and they, they check the box and they, they've done their due diligence in that regard. And then the next person comes in coaching, I think is a different kind of commitment, if you will, to walk alongside of the person, um, um, in their journey, you know, if, if, if that helps, you know, that's kind of my, not even my one oh one term for that, but, I, um, I'll come back to you on that with a more, <laughs> a more concrete thought about that. No, that's Hopefully a, that's helpful though. It is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great answer because the, the reason we ask that is because there there is so much stigma attached to both, and I think it causes a lot of confusion when people do want to then get the, or they do get the courage to then ask for help. They're like, okay, well, who do I ask? <laughs> and they're like, well, yeah. should I have this? Should I have that? And they Google it, and everything tells them that they should have everything, and that everything's the right path. But I think how you just said there as well is it depends on on the person and what support it is that they need at that time and who they feel comfortable with and right and kind of ticks the box for them rather than it's not about the other person. It's about their experience, regardless of what they choose. Yes. 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 Yeah. That came across a lot clearer than mine did. The end message was exactly the same. So it's same alignment now, which is amazing. Um, so I want to touch on that, how you actually help um, people. And one of the things you, you've got obviously a book and a course, which is how to transform your pain to power. So obviously, like, yeah. uh, sorry, your pain to purpose. So that's mm -hmm. like a big thing that you do. So how does that work? Like, what does that involve? Like, what, what's kind of the journey that, um, that, that people come to you for? What, what do they get out of that? Yeah, so it's a 10-stage it's a journey. It's a 10-stage journey, and, and it's, it's predicated upon um, where a person is in terms of how much they've already owned their situation and are really ready to make the commitment to move forward. So that varies, obviously, but um, the journey itself, the 10 stages are number one. And these are stages that that I walk through uh, going from where I told you I started at to where I am now in life. You know, um, and, and the beginning is stage one is addressing the fear because you can't even get to the pain until you address the fear of why you haven't talked about it and reached out for help until this point. Um, for instance, let's say it's some kind of a trauma that occurred in a family secret, 
right? You can't, you don't want to talk about it because there's so many tentacles to it and so many other people are going to be impacted by it. So you, you've just, you've kind of been forced to suffer in silence because you really, you, you really think that you, if you talk about it, it's going to unravel a whole lot, you know, open up Pandora's box and you don't want to deal with it. But you, so, so that fear paralyzes the person from ever being able to, to even, uh, take the next step, which is, which is um, acknowledging the pain. So s- step one is addressing the fear. State, uh, stage two is acknowledging the pain. After you get over the fear, then you can start dealing with the pain. What is the pain, right? Acknowledge the pain. And then this uh, third stage, and obviously this, you know, this doesn't happen as, um, as quickly as I'm saying. Some people may be on step one or stage one for six months to really be able to address the fear and get help with getting, getting through that fear so that they can get to the next stage of acknowledging, acknowledging the pain. And then stage three would be to start abandoning all excuses, Uh, get rid of the excuses because the excuses only perpetuate the paralyzation, get rid of the excuses. Uh, And stage four is admit the truth. And when I say admit the truth, um, that doesn't mean that, and I help I help uh, clients understand that when admitting the truth means okay, if you were unfortunately if you were taken advantage of, let's say it was some kind of sexual abuse or something, admitting the truth doesn't doesn't mean that you were implicated in the process. It means that there there's a therapy in the catharsis of finally hearing you yourself tell hearing yourself tell yourself what really happened. Um, so that you can be freed up from it. You know, you, you have to talk about it. There's, it can never be addressed if it's not talked about. So if it was uncle, whoever, or unfortunately, you know, whoever it was, the perpetuator of your, of the thing that's caused the pain in your life that eventually paralyzed and short circuited your life, you have to admit the truth of it because you can never move forward, um, and get the help until you address the core. It's kind of like, you know, a bad tooth that's really rotten to the root, but you just take out the tip of it. But the, the thing that's really causing the pain is still there. No, got to get to that. And so that's where, for me, that's where sometimes I may tap into, I go, I may, I may shift from being the coach to when we get to admitting the truth, I got to help people really work through and walk through. So I go from coach hat to counselor hat and really get into the you know, um, the depth of how you help people work through that trauma. And that could take, that could take six months. That could take, you know, that could take a long time. Um, so you just have to have to be, you know, have to be sensitive to, um, to where a person is along that journey. Uh, and then stage five would be, uh, once you've admitted, okay. So the first four stages are what I call the breakthrough stages and the catharsis stages, address the fear, acknowledge the pain, abandon the excuses, admit the truth. Once you've done that, you've come a long way. You've come a long way. Now you're ready to do the real work and make that transition, make that paradigm shift. So stage five would be now accepting your new reality. Okay. Where am I right now? This is uncharted waters. And, you know, I need help to navigate these waters here but you're in a much better place than you were because when, when you came in the, do- in the door, carrying all that pain that had, had short-circuited your life. And then stage six would be now to, um, after you accept the new reality, stage six is to assess what I call the loss profit ratio. Assess the loss profit ratio. Well, what did you lose in the process? And, and the focus is not so much on what you lost, but it's to show that, okay, yeah, you, um, you know, you, you, uh, you, maybe you lost yourself in the process. Maybe you lost some people in the process. Maybe you, you lost some things in the process, but, but also what, what'd you, what'd you gain? You've gained the strength that you didn't know you had before you went in. You've gained some fortitude. You've gained some, you know, some, some mental capacity and the, and, and, uh, the gumption, if you will, to now take your power back. So you did gain some things and, and now you have to leverage the things that you gained, um, in, in this painful, horrific situation, you know, it it wasn't all for nothing. You're still living, you know, you still, there's life after this situation here. So, um, then stage seven would be now to what I call analyze the profits. And that's when I sit down with people and say, okay, let's see where your strengths are, right? We're doing the strengths, strengths and weaknesses assessment, basically. Let's see what, what did, what'd you gain in that process here? And, um, and what, what are the things now that, 
that you have that you can even use not only for yourself, but you can use to help impact the lives of others because there's strength in the in the reciprocity now that you what you gain as you give back and, and begin to help other people in different ways. It might not be in a counseling context or a or a coaching context, but just in in in, in whatever your sphere of influence is, you can now use some of the things you know that that if if it's if it's if it's just talking to next door neighbor who might have some of the same things going on, who's open to, well, um, Joe, how'd you get through your situation? Well, that's, that's where now you can help pour into other people, um, and leverage the things, the strength that you've gained in your process. And there, there's a, I use the term reciprocity. You know, I, I firmly believe that one of the things that keeps me, uh, strong, if you will, and keeps me, um, keeps me operating, uh, in my life's purpose is pouring back into other people. It's, it's almost like it, there's an intrinsic connection where I have to do what I do. I love it. I love it. But I don't know what I would do if I couldn't help people anymore because it's all I know now and it's all I, all I want to do. So I try and light that fire there in other people to help them to know that, look, you have something to give. You know, your pain, your pain in one sense, you know, has brought some blessings with it. And that's what I try and help them to focus on. It wasn't all for nothing. So uh, stage seven, I said, is analyze the profits. And then stage eight is what I call add. Now, add, add up the benefits. Let's look at the whole picture now and let's look at where you are now in life. So now, mind you, this might be uh, adding up the benefits might be at at the seventh month, you know, where the person's life is really really different now. They moved away from the place that they were stuck in. And now they're in a, a whole new place in life and not just not just geographically, but just a whole new um, uh, way of thinking about who they are. They've chosen themselves for change and they've really taken their power back and they're ready to see what, what the rest of life is going to have for them. And so uh, stage eight, and I'm kind of rushing through these just, just to give you the, the skeleton of, um, of what the gist of the book is and what the gist of the course is also. And stage nine is to, now that you know what you've gained in the process and that it wasn't all for nothing, uh, you have to now embrace, embrace your full ability, embrace who you are, love who you are, love who you are. There's more chapters to the story, but right now, love who you are, embrace your full ability. And then stage 10 would be to embark upon whatever it is that is going to be your life's purpose. Okay. This thing has moved you. Your pain has now moved you in a new direction and um, embrace it and embark, embark. And I'm intentional about the words that I choose too, because the etymology of this word embark is not just to casually walk out and start living your life. It's to thrust yourself out on the world and, and give the world what you have now. You know, you're a different person now. That's the, that's the, the gist in a nutshell of taking your power back and transforming your um, pain into purpose and power. I love that so much. There's so many parts that resonate there. And I love that you shared all 10 stages as well. And because, you know, it's very often when you do like interviews and things like this, somebody will share like a, a little snippet of their, their, their journey, right. That they use with people, but anybody listening that can immediately start to see how this process can work. And I think that's so, so powerful because I think like Jonathan mentioned earlier is sometimes you can't see what's ahead of you when, when you're struggling and when you're suffering. So if you can break it down into those steps, right. And it suddenly seems manageable. Let's just achieve the first step, knowing that it's leading to somewhere good and somewhere more purposeful and impactful, I think is so, so powerful. So thank you so much for sharing that, Mike. Oh, you're welcome. Um, one of the things I think all of it resonated. There's a lot of similarities between <laughs> the journey we take clients through and yours. But one of the things that I really would love to kind of pick your brains on a little bit more is what you talked about there about then the impact and the 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 purpose in which people turn their pain into and then the impact that can have on others because we are all about and this is something that came around as a result of our clients' experiences. We're all about helping people realize when they're healthy and well, they can be a force for good in the world. That's kind of our, our thing. That's our mission. That's like every day we wake up and that's our thing, right? Whatever it is we're doing, that's that's the forefront of the mind. And that's really been inspired by our clients because they've gone through a, a similar process to yours, but they've got to that point and they're like, okay, well, now what I do with all of this incredible stuff that I know and this energy and it's like, what do I do with that? And then it's about channeling it into something really impactful for, for them, mm -hmm. like you said, within their sphere 
sphere of influence. And that could be changing the world, changing their community, changing their family dynamic, whatever that looks like for them. So I'm curious to know, how do you see what you're doing contributing on like in the state of the world? Like I'm, I'm kind of going macro here. So how do you think everything that you've gone through and your experiences and now what you do with clients is, is having an effect um, globally? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, um, I don't know about globally, but... Uh, oh, it is. Oh, yeah. we're, we're in Thailand, right? <laughs> and, and we're we're <laughs> We're feeling you. So trust me. Uh, trust effects. me. <laughs> Global. Yeah. So um uh <clears throat> so I've been doing this now for a long time, you know, over two decades, right around 25 years now. And uh <clears throat> so there's a, a a full body of work out there, if you will. You know, I've done a lot of work in the in the New York area, well, in the northeast in the states, which is what they call a tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, up and down the, the East Coast border, you know, and I've also overseas, I've been in Jamaica, other places, and um, have also done some work in seminars and counseling and things of that nature. Uh, um, but to your question, Charlotte, so, I mean, there's a lot of people out there, and I do say this in humility, but there's a lot of people out there uh, whose lives I've had a chance to to impact. I remember when I served for eight years in an organization, I was a director in an organization that helps homeless youth that have aged out of foster care. So some of these children, they're babies, they're taken from the mom, you know, because the mom is on substances or whatever and can't take care of the child. So the state takes the child and puts the child into uh, group homes until they get adopted by a good family. And for some of them, that never happens. So they grow up in the system and all they know is being bounced from home to home to home. And some of them, uh, some of them suffer horrific abuse. I mean, I remember sitting, having counseling sessions with uh, 19, 18, 19 year old um, young people. And when they tell their story, I kind of zip it about my story and even the trauma I went through in the military because it pales in comparison to some of the suffering that's, but uh, so I've had the privilege, I call it a burdensome joy. That's the oxymoron that I use for, for this work sometime, a burdensome joy, right? And you live in that vortex right there. And I've seen some of these young people come in at their most broken state and through some good help, good, good counseling, good coaching, now, some of the ones that I've had at, at 19, 20 years old are in their mid thirties going on 40 years old. And I can be driving down the street in New York somewhere. And some of them literally will go, Hey, Mike, Hey, Mike, they'll stop me on the street. They have their family with them. You know, um, uh, um, you know, uh, a couple of them, of them are nurses right now in the local hospital. So I may go up for a routine visit and I'll see them in their nurse's outfit. And they go, you remember that talk we had? All those years ago, and I and it blows my mind. So every now and then, um, God gives me a chance to taste a little bit of the fruit of my labor. And but that happens to your question, Charlotte. That happens wherever I go. Literally, it happens wherever I go. There, if it's not somebody who I work with directly, it's somebody who knows somebody to go. Hey, man, you helped my cousin twenty years ago. He got off drugs, man. He's he's a drug counselor now. So I hear those stories. They just keep coming. And now with the world becoming so much smaller because of the power of the of the internet, people find me. Um, I just had it the other day. I had somebody find me who lives in North Carolina now, who I don't remember. Uh, honestly, I don't remember half of the people sometimes because it's been so many and so many years, but they, they have a way of reminding me saying, Hey, you remember that time when you talked to my, my son and he was being bullied in school um, you even went to school, talked to school counselor with him, and you did some coaching with him. Well, guess what? He's a lawyer now. I, I get those kind of stories. I really do. God, God's honest truth. I get those kind of stories all the time. And it's a humbling thing, but it's also fuel for my fire to just keep going harder and continue <clears throat> continue to help as many other people as I can. I love yeah. That. So that's that those things happen on a regular basis. That is like literally exactly why we do what we do. And I I think that's, I'm so happy that I asked that question because I want so much for people who might be listening that are struggling, that are suffering, that don't really know what their future maybe even looks like and how they're going to come out of it. That when they do, and it is a case of when they do, all of this incredible ripple effect 
that, that you've just described is happening. Like you said, you probably don't even remember. There's a fraction probably of the people that you've worked with, yet they're nurses, they're lawyers, they're people that are bringing, raising kids. You know, that, that's then having a much greater extension then than, than we could probably even possibly comprehend. And I think they're so, so, so powerful. Um, so again, thank you for yep. the work that you do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you're quite welcome. You know, I just thought about something that I want to add on real quick. One of the, to that question, one of the things that really, really blesses me the most um, related to that question is that um, I have about four or five people that I've worked with over the years who I also influence to become authors. And now they're authors and also doing life coaching. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, they, they're, so that, that right there, that, <clears throat> that blesses me because um they they found a way to take their story, put it in print, but but also now they found their purpose in in their pain. They literally did this whole the whole thing about transforming your pain into purpose. That's what they've done, and now uh, they they give back every day by helping other people to do the same thing. Uh, that right there really 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 blesses me. Whenever I see them, and one of them I get a chance to see all the time, blows me away. Blows me away. Blows me away. One of them went to school. Uh, a young guy. I'll name him. His name is Taekwon Griffin. I had him when he was 16 years old. He was a little nerdy kid. <laughs> nerdy in the best sense, right? A little little glasses. If you remember the um uh the sitcom with Urkel, if you remember yes. that, right? Yeah. yeah. So and a lot of kids used to call him that and tease him and all. But this guy, I mean, he used to sit down and listen to me intently while some of the other teens were a little bit rambunctious. He would sit down. He would want to have adult type conversations with me and say, no, Mike, I need some of that of what you had. He had a sense. You know how some people have, we say, an old spirit. He he had a sense of who he wanted to be when he was 16 years old. So now the kid has a Ph.D. in clinical counseling. He opened up a center in New Jersey, right there, not far from the same center he used to come to when they called them a wayward youth. And now uh, he and his wife work with uh, people that that um, deal with autism. That's their that's their lane. And that's what they do every single day. They have a whole center that they built. Blows me away, blows me away. And he, he just. He just wrote a book too. So I kind you know, I kind of champion their cause too. And you know, it's they're branches of the tree and they're out there doing the work. And uh it's amazing. It's amazing. 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 Listen, I'd love to connect with them and maybe get them on the podcast. It's, they've clearly learned from you. They're building a path in their own rights as well. That's clearly gonna be something I think our listeners are gonna want to hear. So if sure. they'd be up for that, then um, they're most welcome. Oh, it's a done deal. I'll hook you up. No problem. <laughs> amazing. Now what I want to go on to kind of now is there's probably people listening who are currently in that midst of pain and suffering. And they're listening to this feeling inspired, feeling motivated to do something. They want to transform that pain. They want to transform it into purpose, but they don't know how. So I'm going to put you on the spot now with all your years of experience and what you do with clients. What mm -hmm. one piece of practical advice would you give someone who is in pain right now who wants to do something about it? Reach out. Reach out. That's 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 as practical as I can get. Reach out. You know, whatever you have to do to get to that point, to tell somebody about what you're dealing with, you have to reach out because uh, pain is a progressive thing. It's you know, it works in stages. It's a progressive thing. It doesn't stay still. You know, it may go underground for a while, but it doesn't go away until it's processed and felt and dealt with. Um, and I say that, Jonathan, because when you and I spoke, when we had our initial <clears throat> conversation, which was wonderful, I still remember that, I, that I've been excited for this as well, just like you. Um, I told you the story of my brother, my brother, Ron, who eventually took his own life. Uh, and it's because he didn't reach out. He suffered in silence. And also he disconnected himself from his community of support at, at the, at the, critical time at the worst time at at the height of his pain he separated himself from the people that the love you know that he needed and support to help him work through that and he ended up kind of a, a man on an island by himself and he you know unfortunately he drove into a parking lot and with a loaded weapon and took his own life that was in 2014 um when i tell you the the impact that that had on my family and my mom and dad are still on this side of life they're 83 and 80 years old um 
So I, I had to be the son, the counselor, the coach, the everything for everybody in my family when that happened, you know, to, to help us adjust to the new normal. Um, so to the person that's listening out there, you may, I'm not saying that you are in the stages of suicidal ideation or anything like that, but what I will say to you is that pain that goes unaddressed only perpetuates itself. And you can go from just being frustrated to eventually being mildly depressed to eventually being chronically depressed and then to despair and then into that, that realm where you start thinking about some of the things that you never said you do. That's how pain works. You can't handle it by yourself. You have to reach out to somebody. You know, I don't want anybody else to end up the way that my brother unfortunately did because, um, you know, even as a... <clears throat> Um, uh, yeah. So, um, even as I tell the story now, it still impacts me, you know, it's still, it'll always impact me. You know, um, uh, I, I wrote a book also, Jonathan, um, a book called eight steps to getting unstuck in life. And the subtitle is lessons. My brother taught me after he committed suicide, because I went back and thought about kind of did it in reverse and thought about the steps that I wish he would have been able to take that he wasn't able to. And I put them in a book and I turned it into a workshop and I've done it a hundred times over again to any, any organization faith-based or not that would open up the doors. And so I've helped a lot of people in that regard too. So, so again, to your question, to your point, I want, I, 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 I'm intentionally telling this part of my painful story so that whoever's listening out there doesn't toy around with, uh, with where you're stuck at right now, because it can change for the worse if you don't take action. If you don't take action, reach out to somebody and and get some help. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing that. We obviously sorry for your loss as well, and what you and your family have been through. It sounds like once again you've been able to turn that into something very very powerful, and I think that's something that that. It, that takes strength that takes real strength and um, I really appreciate you sharing that as well that I got to that stage when you just described there that get reaching out I was at that point if I didn't reach out I was going the same way your brother was and that was mm. a, a, an incredibly hard time and a hard thing to be going through and you feel very alone I felt very alone at that time so yeah. reaching out is the difference between you know a, a life of love and and essentially the end and a lot of suffering for their loved ones as well. So there is, there is space for us to come together and make sure that everybody has someone to reach out to, no matter what that looks like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, awesome. I'm like, what I would like to know is from everything that you shared, like you've had such, such kind of, trauma and experiences in your life and you managed to switch that around um mm -hmm. and there's a lot lot of experience that you can pull from but i just want to focus kind of on the last last five years or so i mean you can go further if you want if there's something that really that has really impacted you but what can you share with our listeners that over the last five years or longer there has been maybe the, the, that one new belief or one new behavior or one new habit that has most improved your life from everything that you've gone through um, <clears throat> uh, being more intentional about self-care because you can't pour from an empty cup, you know, and from the time I step out the door, I'm pouring until the time I come back in the door, or if I'm doing, you know, um, whatever, if I'm online doing coaching, if I'm meeting with people, uh, physically, I'm, do I'm doing coaching, I'm doing counseling, or even when I'm not, when I meet somebody in the in the supermarket and go, Hey, I know you, you're that guy who, well, you know what I've been dealing with. The, it just happens, you know? So, um, self-care is, is, is really at the top of my list right now, you know, self-care and, and from a holistic perspective, mind, body, soul, spirit, everything, you know, working out. Uh, I mean, I picked up a bunch of weight during this, <laughs> during the, uh, when we were sequestered for the whole COVID season, I picked up weight because from my military experiences, uh, one of the crazy things I used to do is I used to jump out of helicopters, right? I was what they call an air assault troop. 
So I'm trained in weapons and explosives. And I carry this big pack on my back, about 80 pounds with all kind of nasty stuff in it, right? Um, stuff to do nasty things. And I'm trained to come out of a Black Hawk helicopter down a rope. You've seen that. You've seen, if you look at Black Hawk down, you see them coming out of, so I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of a trooper. And um, I banged up my, my hips in the process, combined with playing football, some hardcore football over the years. Um, and I, I know over respect to you guys, because what we call, um, yeah, so the soccer football thing there. So respect to you guys when I say football, because you guys have the real football. Um, but yeah, so so I have some hip damage that I'm actually next Monday, I'm actually going for uh, for surgery for my hip. So I haven't been able to do a whole lot of cardio the way I'm used to working out. As a result, I picked up some weight and um, I'm paying attention to that, too. I'm like, no, I got to take my power back in that area, too. So it's not just all mental, psychological. It's, it's you know, it's eating right. It's um, it's making sure the right people are in my circle and it's always evaluating my circle. You know, people, when people think that you're successful, you know, you end up picking up people, people gravitate to you for different reasons and different motives. So I'm always being introspective about that. Who's in my circle? Why are they there? Are they, are they just usurping from me or are they helping to pour into, because this is about reciprocity. I mean, we can collaborate, but you got to bring something to the table too. It can't just be drawing, drawing, drawing from me. And that's how it was for a lot of years. And I, I would be mentally exhausted a lot of times. So I'm paying attention to my life uh, more to your question, Jonathan, I'm paying some paying close attention to my, my whole life and making sure that my cup stays full so that when I pour out, I got something left for myself also. Yeah. I, nice. I, I love it. I think everybody <laughs> needs to hear that. Everybody. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm loving it. Listen, I would love to sit and hang out with you for, for the rest of our evening here, but I just want to, uh, before we wrap up, I'd love to know, is there anything else that you feel like you really want to share or think our listeners need to know? Any final words from you? Uh, hmm. Yeah, just don't, don't beat yourself up too much. You know, you have, you have enough to deal with already. You know, you plan for life. We all plan for life and then life happens. And, you know, when it does happen, as unfortunate as that is, one of the things that we often do sometimes that perpetuates our own stuckness is that we get in our own heads and we beat ourselves up more than we have to, you know, you're still, you're still a good person. You know, you're not a bad person because you went through a divorce. You're not a bad person because you went through addiction and all, and all that. You're still a good person. You're still a good human being. You know, you had a circumstance that you have to address and get through it. And, um, you know, don't beat yourself up, you know, love yourself through the process, love yourself through the process and expect a good outcome. That's what I would say. Love it. Oh, awesome. Love it so much. Great Thank way you. to finish up there. Now, before, now, before we say goodbye, let, let the listeners know where they can find you if they really want to reach out to you, so resonating with your story and want to chat to you a bit more. So where can they find you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So my primary platform is my website, which is MikeBethune.com. Uh, I guess my name will be in the, yeah. in the notes or whatever. Yeah. It's Mike Bethune.com. And then I'm kind of branded all over social media, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, all at I am Mike Bethune. Awesome. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll definitely put all the, obviously all the links in the show notes and that's so people can easily just find you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the books and all, there's a store on my website where you can go right to the store. The books are there and, you know, some other nice stuff is there too. And right there on the right there, but it's all about taking your power back. It's all geared toward that. I'm not, you know, I'm not selling coffee cups and mugs and all. It's all, you know, it's, <laughs> it's stuff that will, will help you. Yeah. Nice. Brilliant. We'll link to all of that in yeah. the show notes as well. So anybody be able to find you on your respective platforms and, and come and look and follow your work. Once again, cool. Mike, thank you so, so much for taking the time and the energy and, and pouring into our lives today. We really, really appreciate it. And I know for sure our listeners will too. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you're quite welcome. Uh, it was an honor and a privilege and I was looking forward to this. So I, I just pray that the information that was shared here, uh, that ripple effect you talked about, Jonathan, I pray that it never ends, that everybody who listens to this is impacted in one way or another. Oh, definitely for sure. That's guaranteed. <laughs>
Good. And thank you for the platform. I mean, thank you for allowing me to share this and thank you. Thank you guys. And keep going with what you guys do too. You know, I'm watching and I'm, I'm going to turn more people on over here on my side of the pond to you guys as well. So yeah. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Then share it with a friend who you think might benefit. Spread the word. That's how we're going to impact the world by helping each other. We appreciate you so much and as always, unconditional love and wellness to you.